Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Brendan Morahan. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Construction Big Breakfast. Delighted to say I, that I'm today joined by Miles Ashley, who Hello. I've known for many years. Good morning, Miles. Hi. Delighted you're able to join Delighted us. Delighted to be here in your new offices. Well, Fantastic. thank you very much. In fact, they feel as though we've been here a long well, time. Well, I <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, Miles, you and I have known each other for a long time. Yes. Um, I've known you in some of the major schemes that you've been involved in, yes. major corporations in the past. And yes. today we wanted to talk particularly about Project 13 that I know you're passionately involved in. Yeah, and, I talk and, a lot about that. And believe in as you do. <laughs> I do. Uh, word of warning, we only have 25 minutes. So right, if okay, you could okay, keep okay, it keep, keep keep succinct. Yeah. But I think our viewers would be very keen to get more of an insight to the detail behind Project 13 yes. and how it really applies to the, the real world. Yeah. But before we do that, yeah. two questions. Yes. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, well, I had eggs Benedict this morning. Um, oh, and I don't always have that, but I knew you were ask that question. And <laughs> I, um, so those are made from eggs from my own hands, which often wander around the kitchen. And uh, there was a very low uh, carbon footprint on the whole breakfast until I cooked it on the Argo. <laughs> <laughs> but enjoyable. And it's very sitting, enjoyable. sitting comfortably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, my and, favourite breakfast. And washed down with a Bordeaux? Or? No, no, I, I just, a, just a light tea. Really, really good. <laughs> Well, I had my usual porridge, mixed with raisins and, uh, and banana. Good. A couple of flat whites, yeah. and now raring to go. Excellent. So the second question is, what gives you the right to talk about Project 13? What's your background, and, and how has that informed your involvement in Project 13, and why you think the output of Project 13 is so important? Yes, okay. I, I mean, I suppose I've got a um, bit of an eclectic career past, really, because I, uh, I started as a civil engineer working for... Um, for main contractors uh, and uh, you know on, on motorway projects actually um, amongst many others and then I ended up running a rail business for, for a main contractor uh, and they say you never escape the rail industry so, yeah. so, so that kept coming back. Um, I then uh, had my own business for a time, I, I had a development business and I bought into a, uh, a project manager, class of Goff. And then, um, then I have decided uh, consciously to have a career change, went off to do a single hand mm -hmm. sailing race to the Azores back and ended up in Transport for London. And I think I wanted to get back to being a practitioner in a, in a client organisation. Uh, so I ended up at Transport for London as the director of construction. So I ran all of those major station schemes that we did together, yeah. uh, and the line extensions. Um, and then I left there in 2016 after eight years. I think, I think that's enough for me for anybody. Um, and I took a charitable role as a master of a livery company mm -hmm. and then uh, set up my own business, Wessex Advisory. So we advise clients and contractors and, and uh, the, the tier one consultants as well. So you feel you've got quite a holistic view of the industry, good, bad and otherwise? Well, I suppose the point about all of that is that um, you know, the industry does things to people who are sitting in different positions within that commercial model. Mm. Uh, and I think I've felt some of the opportunities of pain of sitting in, in those positions throughout my career. So I've, I suppose I've got um, some perspective on yeah. how those commercial models work and what they really mean um, yeah. for people. Yeah. One of the quotes that I remember from you that really resonated with me, and, and I'd just be interested to know how that runs through everything that you've done since. and. Tipping in regard to Project 13. I wonder what this is going to be. 
I'll keep that one <laughs> secret for another time. But, but the one that particularly strikes me is to do with Bank Station. And yeah. this whole concept about how the industry can win through their good ideas rather yeah. than just winning tactically or on a bid that may or may not be correct. Yeah. What, what informed your thinking on that? And how has that been brought forward into Project 13, if at all, would you say? I think it's directly relevant. I mean, I, I, I have a view that, that I think, um, both as a contractor and as, as clients, we get trapped by transactions, mm. in essence, uh, that we, you know, we don't tie those transactions down well because you can't, because actually over time, everything changes. Yeah. Um, you know, you discover more about what you're facing in terms of geotechnics or stakeholders, the commercial environment changes, the political environment changes. And actually, the impact on some of these major projects is largely about time, driven by some of those impacts. Um, so Bank was really about trying to find uh, and condition the company, Transport for London, to do things in a slightly different way. <clears throat> and um, I wanted particularly to try and experiment with putting a, a, an outcome requirements into the market to see whether the market could beat our solution, sure. um, our predetermined solution, which of course in any other circumstances we would have gone to the market and sought bids on. And um, in the end, you know, Trigados won. Um, I have to say that all of the contractors came back with a better solution uh, than, than we had produced. But Trigados' solution uh, certainly was cheaper, um, but overall if you fed, fed it back into the you know, the Transport for London business case, it was 50% more value. Um, I mean, I think it was really pleasing because I think, you know, we put a challenge out as, as an infrastructure owner to say, this is what we've got. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time in benchmarking terms, we were nearly the best in the world. Um, but the market came back with something very significantly better. And and I think it just, uh, it's it, it on to, underpinned I think a belief that I have that that actually you know we, we work in a very inventive marketplace uh, people are instinctively innovative and if you give them a challenge they'll generally beat it um, and that gives me a whole great deal of optimism I think uh, so a project 13 has been about moving away from that transaction environment that I think is so restrictive and that both the supply chain and um, their clients are victims of. Mm -hmm. So the you know the original report was entitled "From Transactions to Enterprise." Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and if, if you know my limited knowledge of it, you've got a much more detailed knowledge. You, if the three tenets of it are about the improvement of productivity. Well, who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Either as a nation or as a as a business. If it's about digital transformation, again, very hot topic all round. But it's the issue of of business sustainability that I'm particularly interested in. Yeah, because going back to your example there that if, if it's an industry that's about innovation, mm. then that costs time and money to innovate. Mm. If it isn't recognised and rewarded, yeah. then how do we make that sustainable? Yeah. So do you want to pick off each of those three tenants, but maybe starting with that sustainability issue and how Project 13 can help both big and small organisations? Yeah, I mean, you, you say who wouldn't want that? And I think actually um, that's a theme running through the whole of Project 13. If I can, you know, sort of take a step back and typify it. Um, you know, Project 13 is, is not an invention, I, I don't think. I don't think we've invented anything. Uh, I mean, I think it is essentially um, a, a, 
an observational development. Yeah. Um, now, some of that was quite sophisticated, and uh, UCL were involved, and Reading University. Um, but it comes essentially from a group of clients talking to representatives within their supply chain over an extended period of time about what works yeah. and how um, you know how we could codify what works. So it's largely observational, and I think if you step through its key tenets, you know, which are governance, integration, organisation, capability, digital transformation, you can take any one of those and say, you know, now, you know, why wouldn't you want yeah. a betterment in that area? You know, why wouldn't you want better integration between mm -hmm. the parties, between you know the business of of design and delivery? Why wouldn't you want? Uh, better integration between the outcomes that a client wants and the out, you know the, the, the productivity of the supply chain. You know why wouldn't you want to um, increase the sophistication of your governance to, yep. you know, to to produce those outcomes? And you know why wouldn't you want to leverage the latest uh, digital uh, you know platforms with the most capable people in the best yep. organisation possible to produce the outcomes? The, the you know so so. You can take any of those principles and you can say, why wouldn't you want those? Um, and they are very simple principles. But what we observed was that where, you know, there are very successful exemplars within, you know, within infrastructure delivery, they have all of them. And they have all of them uh, to a greater level of maturity than anywhere mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. They're not focusing on one of them. I think you can also look through a whole series of, so let's say, National Audit Office reports, yeah. and you can identify those characteristics as being given as the reasons for major project failure. And we can we can point at a few today, although I don't actually want to. Yeah. Um, but those themes in terms of the failure mechanism repeat. Whilst, whilst they're very simple principles, actually, they have some pretty far-reaching consequences. And in the original report, we tried to lay out you know, how you might develop maturity across that band of characteristics. And in terms of governance, as you sort of step through how you might drive sophistication in, in governance, lots to be learned from the UK Corporate Governance Code, but trying to develop long-term relationships with a supply chain and engage that supply chain to help you uh, govern the organisation towards defined outcomes. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, you know, most infrastructure owners were a long way from from that. And why is that? Is that because they don't have the belief that the industry can respond? Is it because they don't have the skills and capabilities internally? Why is it falling down? If it's I, such common I, sense? I simply think it's because it's a very difficult thing to do in that sort of organisation. Valuable. Um, well, exponentially valuable, I, I think. You know, um, we we often cite the example of Anglia Water. You have this really clear idea of you know what it's trying to do for its customers and mm -hmm. and what it's trying to drive in terms of customer outcomes. Of course, underpinned by that so you know by that system of regulation. Yeah. Uh, but you can see the follow through and how that then translates into the business drivers mm -hmm. and their strategic objectives. Uh, and how that then follows through to the supply chain or the way in which it manages its, its, its assets. Uh, so, you know, you, there are very good examples, I think, of businesses that have really worked out method, methodologies 
for enabling that consistency between that follow through between outcomes and the way in which it deals with its supply chain. And you know, um, I'd, I'd also cite Highways England for having made enormous efforts, I think, over the last few years to define what it values within its business and, and how its customers value what it is doing for them. Uh, and, you know, for trying to find uh, mechanisms for turning that into reality. Because ultimately, you know, that's got to drive a group of people that um, are integrated, mm -hmm. you know, that, that have representatives from the people who are responsible for delivering and operating that investment. And it has to drive their decision-making processes. You know, actually, it's very, it's most basic, it has to drive a design decision-making process that will enable the right product to, you know, to serve that outcome. But if it's going to be truly sustainable, it needs the industry and businesses within the industry to be able to respond with an appropriate commercial model to become self-sustaining. Mm. So you cite a couple of examples here that are good for the client, good for the asset owner, mm. but for it to be successful over the long term, as I say, it's got to be sustainable and therefore it's got to have a supply chain that can buy into that. Yeah. Now, there is a lot of scepticism in the marketplace mm. as to whether the supply chain is being treated as a true partner in that. Mm. Now, is that because they're not trusted or is it because the supply side isn't really embracing that and investing in the future sustainability of that model? Yeah, and I, I, I'd say to you, and I think a lot of people have got this sort of slightly wrong, that it's not a contract. Okay. It's a set of but the commercial model around that, because I think the story to interrupt, but I think this yeah. is this is where it really hits the ground, doesn't it? That people are running businesses and they've got to make choices. They do, yeah. and they have got to decide which model they're going to follow. Yeah, but what, what I'm sorry, what I'm saying is you don't need to pick up that version of the commercial model and apply it. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, t to my mind, your you know your key objective in in um, in, in trying to follow Project 13 is to use those principles that are so often cited as failure mechanisms or yeah. the reasons why projects go well uh, and to be cognizant about how you develop maturity in those areas and to develop you know commercial models that are appropriate for your business mm -hmm. now sometimes those outcomes will be apparent you know kind of in the short term I think one of the reasons why the water industry uh, has made so much progress in this area is because it's got a very clear system of regulation, it's got a very clear definition of what outcomes need to be produced and actually you can see those in quite, you know, in, yeah. in the short term. It may be more complicated for somebody like Network Rail of course mm -hmm. or, or Highways England who are looking at driving a strategic transport network, you know, across you know, a whole nation mm -hmm. over, a, over a period of time. Um, and so um, I would say to you that one, nobody owns Project 13. It, you know, it was it was great to be, you know, to chair the original report and to be a co-author in it. Um, but it's certainly not mine. It's not mine anymore. The institution of civil engineers, uh, you know, are the are providing leadership for Project 13. But it, and it comes from a group of clients who were driven uh, to do. Uh, something better to get better value for their investment and from their customers mm -hmm. and the, the reason that they have done that and the reason that i think uh, the supply chain have so comprehensively engaged with it is because everybody knows uh, that the current transactional processes are extraordinarily inefficient um, 
so I'd say that both client and supply chain are victims of the current mm -hmm. set of circumstances. And the opportunity for them both is better outcomes, better sustainability, and better margins. So you're seeing uh, a better working through a better working relationship. I mean, actually, if you look back at that report and you look at the level of transaction costs within the industry, mm. or you look at the level of waste, mm. or you look at the unsustainable level of profits, um, you know, there is, you know, a, a well full of data mm -hmm. that says that our current model. You know, simply doesn't isn't work. working, and, and it, it doesn't stand in comparison with other industrial sectors. You know, where against these characteristics, they are simply more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So, are you seeing confidence that the supply side is engaging? I mean, that, that, they were the yeah. words you, you said. Yes. And you see that they are engaging, and therefore pulling away from the pack. Yes. And that the you can see the supply model is actually going to be very different in the future to the way it currently is. And if so, how will that look? I think the supply model will be affected by, you know, all, all sorts of things. <laughs> Not least, actually, that, you know, the infrastructure owners are waking up to the value of data. And um, I think we, that we will see as a result of that, uh, you know, kind of longer term models, which tend, you know, relationships, which tend to uh, build value through the consolidation and sophistication of data so they will be looking at longer term partners you know to be able to, to do that so that's one thing that i think will enable inevitably break down transactional arrangements i think secondly that um clients now understand that whilst they couldn't necessarily see it before and may not be have been interested in i think over recent years they've been you know nothing short of astounded by the level of the transaction costs within the model that, mm -hmm. you know, that they, they now have to use. Um, I think there's a, a, a lot of customer practice to unwind before we can, you know, we can get to those better relationships. But I think when, you know, when you look at these procurement processes that are, that are buying, uh, you know, a supposedly uh, coherent definition of the works for X, um, you, you know, but actually those contracts are outturning, you know, pretty much on average at 50% above, you know, those bid prices. And as we know, in many of the major projects that we're dealing with, and no doubt because of the complexity, many times above that, one has to ask whether, you know, whether there, there is any, you know, real value in that procurement process as we, as we currently operate it. But isn't this key, Niles, that, and I therefore question the leadership within the industry, because if, as we both agree, why wouldn't you do this? Yeah. And yet you say that customer practice is an inhibitor to that. Customer practice can be changed, not overnight, but it can be changed progressively and pretty quickly yes. with the right leadership, with the right message and the right vision. Yeah. So why is it not happening quicker and more systemically through the industry? I think the people that sit at the, um, you know, that, that have the ability to change uh, that situation Sitting client organisations, I mean, I infrastructure owners, um, and you know they're operating businesses that are often kind of uh, very tactical in their in their mindset and their management processes, and and I think actually that they, there's a lot of work to do to ensure that those organisations understand the the risk and cost of taking a transactional route. 
when actually at the start of those programs it, it looks so mm, uh, blindly justifiable. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a sort of um, nobody got far for buying IBM kind yeah, of uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mentality, isn't it? Um, everybody looks disappointed at the end of these projects, but 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 actually is stamping their heels at the beginning. Uh, and you know, those operators often sit at the uh, at the the meeting point between the politician and the practitioner, mm. um, and. The politicians famously are, you know, tough on stuff and tough on the causes of stuff. And I, I think, you know, in a political mindset that, that they understand transaction, but don't understand the complexity of, yeah. you know, infrastructure delivery. It's very interesting, um, I don't think it's online somewhere, but we recently represented the ICE at a parliamentary select committee and, and touched on some of these subjects and Project 13. Right. Uh, in the context, I think, of um, many major projects, you know, f facing a great deal of difficulty, just dis despite the incredible capability of the people kind of running and uh, operating within them. And, uh, you know, you said we had the opportunity to present a paper on the gap between, between estimates and outturns on major infrastructure projects, which um, mm -hmm. we did uh, with the IBA and the, and the, and the DFT. I don't think we're saying anything that people haven't known for a long no, time. No. Um, I, I think the problem is that, um, you know, we perhaps have failed to articulate it and we've built business models yes. uh, that, uh, you know, that help us to sustain businesses in that, in that environment. Mm -hmm. But it, it's not the route to a better future. And ultimately, infrastructure, you know, provides better, you know, a better future for our country. Yeah. And... And I think with Project 13, if we've achieved anything, we've achieved a, 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 a discontinuity, a rip in the space-time continuum, you know, and allowed people to yes. have these conversations. Um, and those conversations are now spreading globally. Uh, so I was talking to uh, someone in New York uh, just before Christmas on a £50 billion you know, programme, and they're, they're interested in those concepts and how they will apply them to achieve their challenge. Um, there are a number of water clients in, you know, in in, um, in Australia and New Zealand that mm -hmm. are using them. There are conversations across Europe in Norway. Um, so I think it actually, you know, m might find traction outside the constraints of our, you know, our own mm -hmm. governmental yeah. systems, and it, it, it might find a, a global a global audience. And it has certainly prompted debate. Um, there's an interesting piece of work come out of the Construction Innovation Hub on business models and the like, and it's yeah. it's getting people thinking. I suppose, just to wrap up, um, it's all good, it's all academic, it all makes sense. Have you, have you got a feel for what the industry and people listening to us now, how they could get engaged and what could they do differently if they're doing their business plans for the next year? What is the one thing you would encourage businesses to do? to really start getting behind the messages that we've spoke about this morning? I think it's a matter of leadership and advocacy and um, at whatever level you are within the industry, you know, you can find a surprising platform. I think we, we should have been better in how we promoted it. We weren't prepared, I think, for some of the success in its rollout um, or the number of adopters that would take it on. Uh, to that end, uh, we've now got a separate structure within the ICE Institution of Civil Engineers for sure. Project 13. Um, later this year, you will see a, a portal develop, 
Um, and you'll also see a thought leadership group develop around that, as well as the, the group that already represents the supply chain and the early adopters. So there'll be a new structure um, emerging for Project 13. That portal will allow everybody you know, across yeah. the world access to best practice information. It will allow them access to other people who are, who are trying to advocate and practice these ideas. Uh, and it allow them to get involved in some of the thought leadership and the development. You know, I said nobody owns it. What we really need is Project Everyone 14. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, to, to that end, Mark, that, that's, uh, it's finished too quickly, unfortunately. That I think maybe the next podcast we can talk about the potential for, well, for Project 14. And what I think we can do as part of this is make sure we put a link in as part of this podcast to all of the great work that you and others have done in this regard. But for now, I really, really appreciate you coming in to talk to us about that and Delighted. we're right beside you with this it's our mission about creating value through construction and we can't do it on our own really appreciate your time thank you. and thank you for joining us i hope you found it uh, interesting we'll, obviously the links will be there at the end to, to miles and ourselves and to project 13 itself please do get engaged it's important we'd love to hear from you and look forward to seeing you again next time bye for now Invent has a 100% success rate with R&D tax credits, bringing in over 77 million pounds in qualified costs for businesses just like you. We offer a complimentary, confidential review of your business to see where you're leaving money on the table. Contact us at www.invent.com to book a consultation today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.